Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, hunger relief efforts in 2022, an update on New Year fitness resolutions, and Minnesota hockey's connection to the Winter Olympics. But first... Jury selection began this week for the federal civil rights trial of three former Minneapolis police officers charged with violations in George Floyd's death. I spoke with former U.S. Attorney for Minnesota Tom Heffelfinger to find out what he'll be watching for in the federal civil rights trial of Tao Tao, Jay King, and Thomas Lane. I'm going to be looking to see to what degree does the prosecution alter the, alter the evidence they present against these three officers when compared with the evidence that was offered against Chauvin in the state case. Uh, I suspect that the judge is going to try to reduce that amount of evidence because he wants a shorter trial. Um, But on the other hand, these prosecutors still have to prove their case. So I'm going to be looking for differences between the two trials. Uh, Let me, one last thing, Scott. I'm also going to be looking at the defense to see to what degree do they point the finger at Chauvin as being the person responsible for this tragedy, uh, despite their efforts to try to intervene. And there is some evidence to support the fact that they did try to intervene. Is the fact that the three of them are on trial together sort of support your uh, your notion that, that perhaps they may be pointing the finger at Chauvin? No, the fact that they're trying the case together is that is the general method in which all federal cases are tried. It's very rare to see uh, a, a case where the defendants are severed, that's what it's called, separating them. Um, in the federal court. Generally, if they're charged together, the case gets tried together. And with regard to that, how do you expect the tone to be different in a federal civil case versus what we've seen, um, for example, in the Chauvin case, which was um, which was obviously a Hennepin County trial? Well, first of all, this is a federal civil rights case. It's a, it is a criminal case. The charge is violation of Mr. Floyd's civil rights, but there's no doubt that it is a criminal case. Uh, Criminal because these men each face uh, jail time as the penalty. Uh, I expect because it's in federal court, there will be some differences in procedure, but generally uh, the evidence that's going to be necessary to prove a federal civil rights criminal case where the victim died is not dissimilar to the evidence that they offered in the state case against Chauvin alone. You touched on this a little bit in in, in your opening comments, but how much of a a specter over this trial do you anticipate that the Chauvin uh, trial itself and verdict will have? I doubt that it'll even become evidence. Uh, that Chauvin was convicted. Uh, however, it will, uh, his conduct will be a key part of the evidence in the case. 
both for the prosecution and for the defense. The prosecution is going to build their proof against these these three officers by proving what Chauvin did. The three defendants are, to a very large degree, going to blame Chauvin for his conduct against Floyd uh, and exoner and try to exonerate themselves by pointing at Chauvin as the truly guilty party, not them. Tom, in terms of big picture uh, cultural impact, uh, obviously we saw nationwide interest in the Chauvin trial. This is a, a little bit of a, a different situation, as you remember, uh, as you've commented previously, because it's a federal civil rights trial. Um, what kind of an impact do you think it's going to have? Is it going to be less than we've seen with uh, with Chauvin's initial trial? Uh, I. Probably, yes, I think there will be less impact. However, there is one area where it is a, it is groundbreaking. Uh, in, in both the Chauvin trial and the other recent Minnesota trial, the Potter case, the target of the investigation and of the prosecution was the individual who actually committed the act. Uh, in this case, these are three officers who were, let's call them the backup uh, when you, when a police officer uh, engages with a citizen, they will not infrequently call for backup, somebody to help them, and that's what these men were doing. So this will be very uh, interesting for uh, people who monitor police prosecutions to see whether or not the backup officers are going to be held to the same uh, standard and level of uh, culpability as the individual who actually pulls the trigger, or in the case of Chauvin, puts his knee on the victim's neck. Thank you to my guest, former U.S. Attorney for Minnesota, Tom Heffelfinger. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives. Who are we? We're your neighbors, co-workers, and friends. That's right, we live and work in the community too. Because of that, we're committed to making sure our electric services stay reliable, affordable, and safe. Throughout the state, Minnesota electric co-ops work independent of each other, but with the same goal, provide power to Minnesota. You have so many other things to worry about. Your electricity isn't one of them. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives, bringing power to the people of Minnesota. Considering an online pharmacy? Explore BeSafeRx to find useful information and resources to help you purchase medicines safely online. A safe online pharmacy requires a doctor's prescription, has an address in the United States, has a licensed pharmacist, and is licensed by a state pharmacy board. It's best to stay away from online pharmacies that don't meet these criteria. Discover more helpful tips and resources at BeSafeRx. Go to fda.gov slash BeSafeRx. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Food distribution for those in need hit another record high in Minnesota last year as the COVID-19 pandemic continued. MNN's Tasha Radel has more. 
Joining me today is Allison O'Toole, CEO of Second Harvest Heartland, the state's largest food bank. Allison, before we get into this year's projections, what did you folks see in 2021? 2021 was another, it was a heck of a year. It's been a heck of a two years, um, frankly. And as much as I'd love to say as we begin 2022 that the worst of the COVID era hunger crisis is behind us, it's just not true yet. As we ended 2021, we saw that perfect storm again. Um, COVID cases on the rise, so people are um, trying to stay safe and healthy and all the pressures around that. Um, Supply chains continue to be disrupted, but have been for months now. That causes consumer prices to go up. And of course, racial inequities persist in our community. And so what we saw, you know, really specifically at the end of the year is that food shelf visits are continue um, to be 30% more than they were pre-pandemic. Our SNAP outreach line has an increase of about 54%. um, And that is just, it continues. And so I'll start where I, (laughs) I'll go back to where I started. It's been a heck of a two years. Um, And we're still in the thick of it as we start 2022. Have you been able to keep up with the demand across the state? We can. And here's the the real thing. I think the variety is impacted by the supply chain pressures. So we as food banks, we source, we're kind of the backbone to the Hunger Relief Network. So we source uh, food that we distribute to food shelves in the front lines, other community organizations. So when consumers are facing uh, increased prices, so do we. And um, while we can keep, you know, our warehouse is full. We have about 8 to 10 million pounds of food in our warehouse. It might not be what people most want because we can't get it. And so we're seeing prices and lead times ranging uh, from, like, canned vegetables and fruit to fresh and frozen proteins, Our milk deliveries have been pushed or missed a couple of times because of the disruptions on the processor's end. And I think that has to do um, with milk cartons. And so, um, you know, across the board, prices are up about 8% over the last year. Um, And we've had to purchase more food than ever before because our food donations are down. And I think, you know, when we last spoke, prices were up about 5%. Now they're at 8%. So it's going in the wrong direction, frankly. Um, We're able to source enough food. The variety is greatly impacted right now. And not to put you on the spot, Allison, but where do we go from here? Any plans to work with the legislature this upcoming session? Oh, absolutely. So we work at the federal and state level. And so when we, we work with Feeding America at the federal level, there's so much legislators, elected officials at all levels can do to provide the stability that our community needs right now. So at the federal level, certainly around federal nutrition programs like SNAP or food stamps, some of the other um, federal commodity programs that help us get food. But then at the state level, we're really hoping, um, you know, we're operating in a new and different world. Are you folks anticipating to continue doing the drive-up style food distribution across the state? Yeah, I mean, I think as we really work closely with our 
partners on the front line, the hundreds of food shelves across the state of Minnesota, and we work particularly the ones with the ones in our region. Um, they are looking at uh, continuing so much of what worked during the pandemic, including those mobile food shelves. Some of the emergency food boxes are coming back right now. Um, so, yes. So from what I'm hearing, we're anticipating another tough year, but remain optimistic. We are. We're expecting another few tough years, I think. Um, it took us about a decade to recover from the Great Recession. And we're in year two here of this pandemic, and so we have a ways to go. And I wish I could provide more uplifting news. I think the, the bright spots are that this community pulls together at times like this. We've felt the support, and we need the support to continue. And I know food shelves feel that same way. Um, and welcome, you know, you can support in terms of financial donations, either to Second Harvest Heartland or your local food, food shelf, or volunteering um, with us or your food shelf. We've had a real decrease in volunteers again as we've uh, turned into the new year. So we need the help, and the bright spot is that people keep stepping up, and we are so grateful. Thanks again to my guest, Allison O'Toole, CEO of Second Harvest Heartland, the state's largest food bank. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. We'll have more Minnesota Matters after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. We're headed into the last week of January, so how are those fitness goals working out that you might have set to start the new year? MN's J.W. Cox spoke with an exercise physiologist to find out just how you can stay on track or start fresh when it comes to fitness goals year-round. Scott, all is not lost for anyone who has lost their way on a New Year's resolution. Steve Ritz is the founder of Fitness First MN and has decades of experience helping people be as fit as they want to be, but it starts with setting tangible, realistic goals based on improving your health. There's health goals and vanity goals. I strongly encourage or steer people toward having health goals with the idea that the vanity goals will fall into place. So health is, I want to manage my body fat, want to regulate my blood pressure, my cholesterol, those sorts of things. And then the vanity goals will take place where you start to look better. You'll feel better right away, but just the vanity, how do you look in the mirror? The pitfall of perceived lack of time is one that Ritz has seen derail people's efforts, but one he says can be overcome with the right perspective. It's really not about the quantity within a week, it's the quality. You're better off if you have two or three short, infrequent, intense bouts of exercise as opposed to trying to do too much, too fast, and running the risk of the overuse, misuse of the body and then you end up uh, falling off the wagon anyway. If you're struggling to find a goal or an area to focus on, Ritz says strength training should be at the core of your fitness journey. We don't have a problem in society with too much fat. We have a problem with too little muscle and all the adverse effects that happen as a result of the muscle decline from a metabolic standpoint. Not to say that we aren't an obese society. It's that we lack the musculature to keep our furnace burning as hot as possible for as long as possible throughout a given week. It's really about chronic caloric expenditure as opposed to acute caloric expenditure. What I mean there is acute meaning how much do you expend during your bout of exercise, chronic meaning 
how much can we impact our metabolic rate 24 hours a day, seven days a week, or 168 hours a day or a week? And we do that directly, tangibly, by adding lean muscle tissue because muscle tissue is very, very greedy for energy to sustain itself. Ritz says, while your health journey is personal, you do need some accountability along the way. That's where a facility like Fitness First comes into play. The prime desire for our clients is they hire us as their advocate to get stronger for their journey, whether that journey is a high school or college athlete, someone in their 80s that wants to be an active older adult and keep up with their great-grandchildren and everything in between. So we work with pregnant people. We also do rehab, which is taking the baton after physical therapy. So someone might have a procedure, six to eight appointments of physical therapy, and then we do the more comprehensive corrective rehab. But the common denominator is it's appointment-only strength, working with an educated, experienced expert, on very high-end equipment with a customized plan of attack. And people see the value because they work out less with us, but they get more because of those variables that we put in place for people. Ritz says there's another stumbling block many encounter on their fitness journey. Avoid comparison because it leads to one of two things. You either get arrogant, like, hey, look, I'm hardly doing anything, and look at how much I'm progressing compared to so-and-so, and that's not a good thing. Or you get angered and you're like, oh, I feel like I'm really doing everything very pristinely and it just am not progressing at the pace I want. So run your own race, exercising patience and persistence and having those blinders on. And then when you compare yourself to other people's area of expertise, commercialization by looking at TV ads, newspaper ads, magazine um, that's their area of specialization, and, and you have your own areas of specialization, but to avoid that comparison. And then the thoughts that we have, having that positive mental attitude, we personally, everyone, individually, have the power to change the thoughts and the feelings that are derived from that. So putting positive thoughts in our head and then the emittance of positive feelings that are derived from those thoughts. When all is said and done, Ritz says personal health journeys play a role in the overall health of society. It really boils down to the basics as a society. Exercise, diet, and sleep. Those are controllables. If we control that, we have less need for medical intervention. I will contend that if all of us took personal accountability for those three components, exercise, nutrition, and sleep, we'd put most medical personnel out of business. And we're going to be healthier, more energetic if we address our fitness. We have fewer sick days, we're more productive at work, and it just goes on and on and on. If things are thrown our way, we get the common cold, we get influenza, whatever, same thing. The more efficient our bodies working as a result of the exercise the nutrition and the sleep we're more resilient it doesn't mean that we're going to avoid things but we can decrease the incidence and the severity of things that are thrown our way if we address those three components and those again are controllables more on the work of Ritz and Fitness First can be found at fitnessfirstmn.com. Scott, back to you. Thank you, JW. We'll have more Minnesota Matters after this.
Who might you save? Your mother, your father, your husband, uncle, aunt, son. Learn fast. F-A-S-T. The sudden signs of a stroke and you could save. Your friend, your best friend, teacher, boss, coach. F. Face drooping. A. Arm weakness. S. Speech difficulty. T. Time to call 911. F-A-S-T. Face arm speech time. That's F. Face drooping. A. Arm weakness. S. Speech difficulty. T. Time to call 911. The sooner they get to the hospital, the sooner they'll get treatment. And that can make a remarkable difference in the recovery of your neighbor, the waiter, a fellow shopper, a total stranger, grandmother, grandfather. So learn FAST, the sudden signs of a stroke, then pass it on because you never know who might save you. Your wife, your colleague, teammate, mother. Spot a stroke fast. Visit strokeassociation.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. There are nine hockey players with Minnesota ties who will be on the men's USA Olympic hockey team next month in Beijing, China. Among that group is current U of M sophomore Brock Faber of Maple Grove. He joins MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm to talk about the approaching Olympics. You know, it's a dream come true. Uh, it's something yet. Yeah. Ever since I started playing hockey, obviously, it's, you know, throwing on that USA jersey is pretty special. And I've been, you know, fortunate enough to... Uh, to have done that a few times, but, you know, not, not on a stage like this, that's for sure. You know, playing in the Olympics is, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's hard to, uh, you know, put into words how it makes me feel. Obviously, it, um, a little unfortunate, you know, obviously it, it's tough to leave the guys in such an important time during the season. But um, like I said, it's, you know, representing this country is uh, something super special to me and um, something I'll, you know, obviously cherish, you know, for the rest of my life, so. Yeah, I know earlier in the uh, in the week and last week, uh, your head coach, Bob Motzko, talked about, you know, he wasn't going to hold anybody back because it is such, uh, you know, in, especially in the hockey world, right? The Olympics are, are pretty meaningful. So if you get the chance, yeah. he was he was going to let you guys do that. Um, and how cool is it, too, to, to be able to take, uh, you know, a couple of your teammates with you as part of Team USA? Yeah, it's awesome. You know, uh, obviously those two two guys really deserve it. Hey, they're, they're pretty fun to watch, obviously, as you know. You know, those two are they're special. Um, and you know, they're gonna, they're gonna bring that, you know, to a, um, to the, to the world stage and, you know, show, show that off at the Olympics. But, um, you know, having guys, having guys that I've obviously played with a lot now and, um, became really close with is obviously, uh, makes, you know, travel a lot easier, you know, going to China, things like that. Um, so it'll be fun. Definitely, definitely special for all three of us. So. So the Olympics, of course, initially were designed to have NHL players uh, in it, and then that got kind of sidetracked. And all of a sudden, word started to trickle out, and uh, there were some you know, rumblings uh, before all this process unfolded that, hey, it might be some college guys, some minor league guys, and they're starting to talk. And at what point for you did it become like, hey, this, this might be happening and kind of take us through the processes? Uh, you know, I'm sure it wasn't just like, hey, one phone call, or do you want to do it? I'm sure there was some feeling out process and all of that stuff. What was that like? Well, yeah, so I was at, you know, World Juniors, um, and it was, obviously, it was, you know, you had heard, you know, on Twitter, everything about how NHL guys aren't going, and um, obviously, it was in the back of my head, but I was more focused on, you know, World Juniors, obviously, um, and then when that got canceled, um, uh, John Van Beesbrook, he he came up to me, and uh, Jake Sanderson, Matty Veneers brought us aside, and, um, you know, asked, obviously, how we feel about the Olympics, things like that, and um, in the end asked us to go and it was kind of, um, you know, it was, it was shocking, you know, you know, you didn't really, lots, lots of emotions and, um, a pretty, you know, quick time period with the tournament getting canceled and then getting asked to go to the Olympics. So, 
Um, obviously, first thing I did was went up went upstairs and called my parents and told them, and um, it was special. Definitely a very special moment. So. Yeah, and obviously we mentioned the Olympics are, you know, within hockey especially. The Olympics are, you know, the world stage of sports. And with hockey, uh, you're clearly too young to know about the Miracle on Ice team in terms of seeing it personally. I'm old enough to remember watching yeah. that unfold. Uh, but I'm sure you've seen the movie and maybe even talked to some oh, yeah. former Gophers who, you know, were, were part of that Miracle team. I mean, when you think about a kid like you from Minnesota, uh, that is a backdrop. Obviously the NHL guys, you know, who you look up to as well have, have been in it in the past. I mean, take me through that emotion of, of knowing you know kind of the gopher history and uh and all of uh, all of the minnesota connections that the olympic hockey team has had over the years yeah i mean you, you see all the gopher guys on that team obviously uh you know leading the way was herb brooks obviously and he's you know uh, we come here every day and there's you know herb brooks picture just about everywhere in the ranks so um you know obviously it, it's special obviously watching watching the movie miracle on ice that was always Always the go-to, probably seen that over 50 times, always just playing in the minivan, you know, driving, driving to the rink, whatever it was. So, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, you know, something that, you know, when, when you're in the, when you, when you're a kid watching that movie, you know, you, you obviously dream about doing that, but you know, you, you never know how real it is, um, obviously until you get asked to go. And then it's, you know, all those kind of emotions just start, um, you know, rushing up and it's, um, like I said, hard to put into words how special this is, how special this is for uh, all three of us, every guy that got asked. Um, so it, we're really looking forward to it, for sure. So you mentioned you were part of the World Juniors, and then that got, you know, the trapdoor kind of fell out on, on that thing, and, and now it's moved on to the Olympics. So based on that experience, and, you know, you, you're kind of familiar with the international stage, what, what as a team for Team USA, what's kind of the goal now is you can get a handle on, on prospects for, for what lies ahead? You know, obviously, it's uh, we're gonna we we've had a we've had a Zoom call. Um, we have a few set up, and um, you know, as a team, we, we got a fast skilled team, and um, we're we're an in your face type team. That's that's how we're gonna have to play uh, to be successful at this tournament. Obviously, it's um, you know it's gonna be tough. There's gonna be a lot of a lot of adversity with you know COVID and you know getting there, travel, things like that. But um, you know, obviously, that all flies out the window. You know, when that first puck drops, so. Um, yeah, like I said, lots of skill on this team. There's there's a lot of amazing players on this team. You know, good good mix of veterans and young guys, um, and it, it should be fun. Uh, we're going to be a fast skilled team. It's going to be uh, it's going to be fun, like I said. So you mentioned you know with the uh, obviously the the covid situation i'm sure you know that that is a situation that everyone will be monitoring and now i know this week they announced that uh, that there won't be general fans have you heard what it may or may not be i mean if your family wanted to go friends wanted to go uh, what what's the situation for you guys there i don't think family's going uh, i think they have kind of a separate thing for for family but um yeah, everything's kind of up in the air. It's, you know, it's obviously pretty quick with everything, just, you know, NHL not going, things like that, trying to find a team. There's um, there's obviously been a lot of information, you know, coming in the past two weeks, and then, you know, the next two weeks is going to be the same. So, um, like I said, it's it's all kind of up in the air right now. We're just uh, – we're focused on the Gophers right now, but, you know, when that time comes, it's, uh, you know, we're, we're going to be locked in. That's Golden Gopher hockey player Brock Faber with Eminem Sports Director Mike Grimm. The Olympic Games take place from February 4th through the 20th. That is going to do it for us for this week. Thank you so much for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.